we're going to we're continuing to move through the events of Jesus crucifixion. And today we're going to be looking at John 18 verses 15 through 27. But I just want to make a note about a lot of the chronological details. Okay, right. See, still getting used to this. When we were singing, I kept noting I sound really loud today while I'm singing and realized that the microphone was still on. I looked over and my, my son was smiling at me. So I turned it off and then I've got to remember to turn it back on. So I'm looking forward to that mic, other mic that's coming soon that hopefully it will work well, <laughs> uh, better than this situation. So just, I wanted to make a note about chronological details of what took place during what's referred to as this Passion Week and the harmonization of the Gospels. Um, each Gospel, whether it's John or Matthew, Mark or Luke, they each give a different perspective and a different set of details, as we mentioned before, of the Passion Week. That doesn't mean that they're inaccurate, that somehow um, they're just, you know, they're, they're, when we think back on the specific event, we can remember that event, but sometimes the details get kind of blurry. And I've remembered things before about places we went on vacation and some of the boys who have younger memories than I do will say, Dad, Dad I'm not sure that, that that happened like that. And this happened. And, you know, sometimes we can get inaccurate with memory, but that's not what's going on with the Gospels. Of course, the Holy Spirit um, it's spirit breathed, it's God breathed. And so the spirit was leading these men as um, they wrote, but he still allowed, they weren't robotic. They had their own perspectives. They had different focus. And we're gonna see John has a specific focus as we look at this first hearing with the high priest Annas today and how he contrasts that with Peter and his unfortunate denial. Um, they're not inaccurate, these details, but there's a beautiful harmonization when we take them together. Um, I have a Bible. I think I brought it here before. It's a harmonization of all the Gospels, and it, it happens to be the NASB translation. But it takes in four different columns, and it harmonizes um, all of the Gospels. Uh, some places where John will, or, or one of the other Gospels will mention an event. It just records that whole event on the page. And then when the different Gospels reflect on other events together, um, and certainly the crucifixion, it's scattered and it's spaced so that it's you can actually read it and know what each of the Gospels are saying about each of those different um, events and, and note the specific details that each one gives. It's very helpful. But you know what? If I were to examine the harmonization in that much detail, we'd be talking about this a long time. It's, it's interesting, and I would hardly recommend um, you taking the time to look through the different, the synoptics versus John and get the bigger picture, but we just don't, we're not going to have that kind of time. There's other avenues for that. I have a couple books that also go through timelines and different people think or, or have different opinions upon the actual night that Christ was or, or the afternoon that Christ was crucified um, and these different things and what timing it is. And we just, again, we don't have time to go into all that. If you're interested in that, I could certainly talk to you about that afterwards. Come see me and we can go into all the detail you want about that. 
But there are times where I will note details from the synoptics that I feel are necessary as our focus is on John's gospel here. Now, last week we noted that John is the only gospel that records Pete or, or a hearing before Annas before Jesus is brought before the official high priest, Caiaphas. And you remember that, hopefully. And the difference was, was that Annas was the high priest elected by the people. And even from the Old Testament, we understand, even looking at the example of Aaron, um, that was intended to be the position he held until he died. Aaron was the high priest until he died. But the Romans really didn't care much for um, Jewish concerns. And for whatever reason, um, the high priest Annas uh, frustrated or uh, angered the Roman government. They deposed him and put others in their place. And that really didn't go over well with the Jewish people. It seems as if the Jewish people still looked then to, to Annas as their real high priest, even though Caiaphas was the high priest that Rome had put into place. And if you'll remember as well, all of these replacements, somehow Annas was wily enough, he was able to get his own uh, sons in, and Caiaphas is his son-in-law. So there's still some nepotism going on here. That's still all in the family. But John records for us that because of the respect that um, the other leaders had for Annas, that they wanted to bring Jesus to him, to have him examine Jesus before anyone else did. And so that's where we left off with that detail last week. Now, John, we're going to see here in verse 15, records Peter entering the courtyard during this initial hearing. What's interesting is the other synoptic, the, the synoptics, excuse me, have Peter entering the courtyard of the high priest as about the time as Jesus is taken to face Caiaphas. Um, in fact, just turn briefly to Matthew chapter 26, verses 57 through 59. So we can see the difference here. And in Matthew, it says, then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas. Notice again that John is the only one that mentions this pre-hearing before Annas. In Matthew, um, he skips over that, goes right to the hearing with Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. Okay, do we have a, um, a seemingly um, error here or, or um, discrepancy? Did Peter enter the courtyard um, during the hearing of Annas or of Caiaphas? Which is it? Well, there's a really probably the best, the simplest explanation of this, which makes a lot of practical sense. Most likely they were family. It was probably an area where the high priests, where they lived in close uh, proximity to each other. They were probably near each other in the same courtyard, or possibly they dwelled together. So when Peter entered the courtyard, he was there both for the hearing of Annas and the hearing of Caiaphas, right there in the same area. It's most likely the same courtyard that we're talking about here. And so... Again, these are the types of things that some scholars or some um, 
you know, cynics may say, see, there's a mistake here. And really there's not, there's always reasonable explanations for what's going on here. Uh, another aspect of this that we'll see is John interrupts the account of Peter's denial with the details of this hearing. Well, the synoptics write it as one continuous narrative. And that can simply be the fact that the synoptic writers, they weren't focused on this pre-hearing with Annas at all, but they wanted all the focus to be on Peter's denial. While John interrupts that narrative, he wants us to understand details from this hearing, and he has a unique purpose for that, and that purpose is going to be our focus today, and we're going to see that as we continue. We're going to see then today the Son speaks openly to the world, and let's just jump ahead to verse 19. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? And Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Father, as we look at this account today and, and marvel at the boldness, the strength of Jesus, as he now faces revilement, accusations, false accusations, and even violence in this early part of these hearings to see his steadfast calmness and his carefulness. Father, we fall so far short of this when we find ourselves in intense, intensely stressful situations and painful situations. Help us to marvel and desire to reflect the strength that Jesus shows in this, so that as we go through trials, that we won't be tempted to in any way deny our Savior, but we, through his strength, will be able to confidently and calmly go through those things, knowing that Jesus is there with us, and he will see us through. Help us to understand and desire that kind of strength today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I just read to you that passage, but we do need to go back to verse 15 of chapter 18. In contrast, what we just read, with Peter's refusal to be truthful, even to a little servant girl, and let's read verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. And since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. Um. There's a point that I, need, that I need to bring out so that we're clear on what happened 
in the garden. We didn't get to this last week, but as Jesus was taken to Annas, remember that all of the disciples at that point, Mark makes it clear, they all fled. They all abandoned him. Let me just read to you. You don't have to turn there quickly from Mark chapter 14. And they laid hands on him and seized him. And one of those who drew by, who stood by, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, Mark doesn't tell us it's Peter. And actually, remember that Mark probably got most of Mark's gospel could very well be interviews with Peter. And I don't know that, that Peter was purposely asking to have his name left out. Um, but it is Mark decided to do that. And Jesus said to them, have you come out against a robber as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me day by after day, I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. Remember all of this is being is fulfillment of scriptures. Not one of this is um, random, not one part of this. And then verse 50 in Mark chapter 14, it makes it clear. Mark makes it clear that they all left him and fled. All of these men that had just um, devotedly sworn their allegiance to Jesus, when they realize that he's being taken away, they all run away. And Jesus is abandoned. But some of them come back around. Peter does that, as we see here. All the disciples abandoned him at one point. But Peter does return to the courtyard, courtyard where um, Annas is examining Jesus. And it says in John that he's accompanied by another disciple. And this disciple, from what we can tell here, it means, seems obvious that he has connections with the high priest, some sort of, sort of special uh, privilege that allows him and eventually Peter to enter this courtyard and this was uh, not normally done because this courtyard and what was going on here, especially during this trial, they wanted as little as attention as possible. But even according to the expectations of the priests, no one was allowed. It was off limits to be nearby, to be in this courtyard at all. That seemingly was a courtyard of where these priests and officials met. So who was this disciple that John's talking about? He's not named. But most likely, from what we can tell here, it was John himself. Since the rest of the details, as we go through this, as we listen to the, and, and we um, think through these details, they're obviously given by an eyewitness, and that would have been John. So it makes the most sense that this was John, this disciple who had this privilege. Now, how did he get this privilege? How could he, John, the fisherman, have these important privileges to be able to get into something like this. And that's kept some scholars from saying, well, it can't have been John. It must have been Nicodemus or something like that. In the end, we just don't know. But I think there's probably the best evidence is it's John. And there's something that um, some scholars, as they studied the life of John, it seems that there's evidence that John actually had family connections to the priesthood. And he may have then had the status necessary to be allowed in um, from what we can tell of church history and some things. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that for sure. This is speculation. But this does fit another pattern in the Gospel of John that John doesn't mention his name when he mentions himself. Remember, he's referred to as the beloved disciple. 
So most likely from what we can tell, the best guess is this is John that allows, is able to get in. Peter's not allowed in, verse 16. And so John, or another disciple, um, goes back, speaks to this little girl, this servant girl. Maybe she was a teenager, I don't know, but she was the doorkeeper and said, hey, can you let my friend in? And she's about to let him in. And then she gets a little suspicious here, right? Verse 17, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And she is asking this in a way where she's expecting him to say no. It's almost like she's saying it this way. You wouldn't dare be one of those disciples. You wouldn't actually dare as one of his followers to follow him at this close, don't you? You know, someone like that um, wouldn't be the reality, they wouldn't understand the reality of the danger that they would be in. Surely you wouldn't be one of the disciples as this young girl is looking at him intently. And it was real easy then for Peter to say, he said, I am not. And it really, don't we kind of marvel at this man who has just recently sworn his allegiance? I mean, passionately and went after, um, tried to go after the soldiers and the policemen, and all he ended up doing was clumsily striking out and taking off the servant's ear, and Jesus healed that ear. But here was a man who, and sincerely in his heart, Peter was not insincere in this. He was sincere when he said, I will be with you. These others may leave you, but I will stay with you. Have you ever marveled at how quickly someone could change like that? Well, as I was studying this, I think I have a little bit more understanding of maybe how this happened with Peter. I think it was stages. First of all, as he realizes that there's a good possibility that he can't get in, and then this disciple, John, is able to get him in, he realizes that maybe it's best just to act like he doesn't know Jesus so that he can stay close to Jesus. And this little girl asks him a question that almost kind of expects a no. So it's real easy. You're not one of the man's disciples, are you? It's real easy for someone to say, well, not really. No. And just kind of go on in thinking, all right, well, I got through that. And now I'm able to be close to Jesus. I think there's a good possibility that maybe he's thinking along those lines. Just kind of quickly says, I'm not, and moves on. Now, notice Again, the details here that really point to an eyewitness in the midst of all this, that John had to be there. Because look at the detail in verse 18. Now, the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire. He even gives the detail of what kind of fire it was, right? Because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. And John is setting us up here for what is going on. But this fire had not been made for outsiders to join. It had kind of maybe been made last minute because the whole, um, the hearings and all of these were really shady, or as we'd say today, sketchy. They were kind of thrown together here. This was an unusual time for them to have a hearing at all. Hearings were done in the daytime so that people knew what was going on. They weren't secluded and they weren't hidden away at night. Even having this hearing in the middle of the night is peculiar, and it shows uh, they're almost like they're trying to get away with something. And so these men that normally would be um, 
would not have to worry about being cold in the heat of the day. At night, it's very cold and they make this fire and they're all standing around it. Servants, the officers, the Roman guards, some of them. And Peter is kind of conspicuously standing there and warming himself too. It's already denied Jesus once. Now the synoptics continue on with that story, but John stops and lets us know what's going on inside of what is probably Annas's residence there or the place where where he um, would meet with other people. So verse 19, and notice that it refers to Annas as the high priest. He was the one that the people really considered to be the high priest. He then questioned Jesus about two things, his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus is going to courageously speak truth to the world. Don't miss that. John wants us to see something here. Peter, for all his bravado, when it comes to the point of speaking truth, is intimidated by a servant girl. Jesus, in the midst of the high priests, Roman soldiers, officials, boldly and directly proclaims truth. He doesn't back down. Quite a contrast, right? And so Annas here wants to know. And it is interesting. He wants to know about Jesus' disciples first. It's almost as if he's more interested about how big of a following that Jesus has in the numbers and who's with him even more than his teaching. I think it kind of shows us what their mindset is, that we have to stop this now before this man influences and gains more and more disciples. So that's first on his mind. But then he also mentions the teachings as well. Now, let me point something out already as we've gotten to this point. Two illegalities are already apparent. Jewish hearings and trials were not supposed to take place at night, and I already emphasized that. But more importantly, the second one is one that was um, severely trying to think of of the word here, but it was obviously um, a misdirection from what they normally would have in a hearing or this type of thing. This was not the norm. This was considered illegal in the fact that they questioned Jesus directly and peppered him with questions, and they hadn't even brought forth any witnesses yet. You see, in a Jewish hearing or trial, witnesses always had to be brought forth first, and their testimony had to be heard before the accused was made to even say one word. And then um, the uh, sincerity and the honesty of those witnesses had to be established as well. Um, One commentator, Leon Morris, put it this way, the case had to be established by witnesses. It was the responsibility of Jesus' accusers to bring forth their witnesses. It was not his responsibility to demonstrate his innocence. So here, already, two things that were illegal in Jewish law in regards to um, hearings and how they would take place. But these men don't, aren't very concerned about that, are they? This is a formality. They want to get Jesus, and they want rid of him. So we'll just fudge the details a little bit. And we'll overlook some things so we can get what we want accomplished. 
and the concern here is more about his influence and his teaching. But notice how Jesus responds. He doesn't even address the first question about his disciples at all. What is he doing? He's still protecting them. Remember how he said earlier, I will keep them. And he said, as they were getting ready to bind him and take him out of the garden, he said, you have me, leave these alone. And now he's asked about his disciples, and he doesn't even answer the question or acknowledge it. He goes straight to his teachings and points out that this hearing is illegal, that it's not appropriate because they're not following their own law. Verse 20, Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Um, Jesus points out that his teaching ministry has always been public. It's always been literally open to the world. Has he tried to hide his message at all? No. He's been very clear to the people. He's been very clear in his earthly ministry what his message is. He's literally saying here almost that he has broadcasted for everyone to hear in public places. He's not trying to keep this secret. He's never made an attempt to keep this secret. Now, you might say, what about those times where he was with his disciples and he taught them privately? Well, yes, there were private times of teaching with his followers. And there were times even where he would heal someone early in his ministry and he would say, don't tell anyone. The idea of it's not time yet to proclaim. But all of those private times of miracles and teaching were still only an expansion of what he had already been teaching publicly. They were no different. It was more in-depth teaching, but it was still his teaching. And Jesus here is fully accurate then that he has proclaimed. And we, we saw this even from the beginning of John, right? that Jesus came to proclaim who the Father was. He was the very word of God. And he fulfilled that. He fulfilled his mission in speaking openly to the world. The world had opportunity. These men had opportunity to know what his teaching was. They don't have to ask him. They know. They've heard. But Jesus now specifically emphasizes the illegality of the hearing by asking him, why are you interrogating me before you even have witnesses collected? Verse 21, why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. Where are your witnesses? He's saying to these men, it's very easy to find witnesses to my teaching." I've been open about this. It's the easiest thing in the world for you to go out and find witnesses that can tell you of my teaching. Where are they? Why are you not following, in effect, your own laws in the midst of this hearing? And they have brought none. In the midst of this, they have not uh, had any interest in even bringing one witness as of yet. Jesus is facing these authorities that will soon um, bring him before Pilate. Pilate will soon condemn him because of their um, words and actions. And he's not intimidated at all. But he's confidently, calmly, 
actually, what is he doing? He's interrogating them. Why do you ask me? Where are your witnesses? And then one of, one of these officers that were standing near, an officer of the Sanhedrin, we're not even told, uh, some, maybe some, probably some low-level uh, police officer or something, his name's not even mentioned. You could say one of the Sanhedrin, one of the priest minions, just has had enough about this confident answer. And he gets angry. And it says here, when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand. And that Greek word there has the idea of a very hard slap. He's angry. And what does he say? Saying, is that how you answer the high priest? How dare? You're not the one supposed to be asking the questions here. How dare you speak that way to our revered high priest? Does Jesus get angry? I can tell you if I was in that situation, I'd be fighting anger. Um, I'd be fighting fear, too. And I might have my own choice words for how dare you even be willing to touch me. This whole thing is a sham. It's illegal. I'm going to see you in court. But Jesus is calm. He's careful. In verse 23, he answered him. If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. Show me where I'm wrong. But if I said is right. Why do you strike me? Because what he said is right. There were no witnesses. This whole thing is illegal. It's a sham. And in fact, someone hitting him and providing correction or discipline to him when it had not been proven yet that he'd even done anything wrong was another illegality. We're not getting off to a good start here, are we? And Jesus is carefully, but he's in strength and calmly enduring these things already. And Annas realizes we're not going to get anywhere else here. And so verse 24, then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Um, he gives up giving information and he sends him still bound, by the way, totally unnecessary, but he's bound. And probably this is in-house or somewhere nearby that um, is connected to the same courtyard because now we have John getting back to um, Peter's part of the story. Let me mo mo uh, point out one more thing, though, in regards to Jesus' answer. Jesus said, I have spoken openly to the world. Did you notice when Paul read this morning from Isaiah 45? Let me read verse 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth and made it, he established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. And in this response to Annas, Jesus points back to the fact of his deity. He points to this same description that we have of Yahweh, of the Lord himself. And he would speak openly to the world. He is, here's, here's a hint here. And for those that knew scriptures, they should have understood this. He's saying, I'm God. I always speak truth. But they totally missed that. So now we go back again, the contrast here to Simon Peter, who's still standing there and warming himself 
And in the light of the fire, people, you know how when you first get into a dark situation, you only have a fire, it's hard to see people's faces. But as he's standing there, people are, he's a little more recognizable. They're able to look at his clothing and how he's dressed and who he is. And the synoptics have a number of different people that are, are, sounds like they're all asking him this question at, at kind of at one time. John just kind of collapses all those into one word, they. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? And again, he, they give him a question that's kind of an easy answer because they're expecting a no. And they're saying this basically, you, you are not one of Jesus' disciples. You surely, one of his disciples wouldn't dare come here and be with us, right? There's no way. So really all Peter still has to say is, well, no, who do you think I am? You know, just trying to kind of play it off. He denied it and said, I am not. But then Peter at this point has talked himself into a corner because there's one man there that was in the garden and he recognizes Peter and he doesn't ask him a question that expects a no answer. He asks him a direct question where Peter can't get out of it. He has to say yes or fully lie and deny Christ. And look at that. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. I suppose this man wasn't very happy when Peter did that to his relative. And maybe in the darkness, it was hard for him to get a full look at Peter when that happened. But now he's looking at him again and he's saying, wait a minute. Did I not see you? in the garden with him. Now Peter's trapped. He's trapped by his own words. He either has to admit or go into full denial. And just as Jesus said, in the fear of the moment, the contrast here, the savior of the world, openly speaking truth, even though he's being beaten and slapped and all of this. And Peter says, or Peter, John says, he again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. John keeps kind of the emotion out of these events, but Luke, if you'll just turn quickly here, reminds us of all that Peter was going through at this point. Just look at Luke 22 very quickly. And again, a condensed version of what took place here, just for comparison and to add some details. Then they seized him and led him away. That's Jesus bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. Go to verse 56. Then a servant girl seeing him as he sat in the light, looked closely at him and said, this man also was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I do not know him. And then he denies it again. And finally, verse 60, he said, he denies Jesus yet again. Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. What a dramatic moment. John doesn't record that for us, but Luke does. Jesus actually turns and looks at Peter. Basically, he's saying, I told you it would happen. All that bravado, all of that passion. Peter, I knew it. And can you remember? And then Peter's response, remember the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. The Savior is boldly speaking openly of the truth. Peter, in fear, in cowardice, covering up the truth. 
And when he realizes the contrast, he's bitter in his spirit and sorrowful, and he runs away. Well, aren't we glad that we know this isn't the end of Peter's story? Praise the Lord for that. Peter will be able to follow Jesus again after Jesus dies for him. Jesus will enable Peter to be able to follow him again. But Jesus has to die first. Another commentator, I loved what he said here about this event. As serious as was his disowning of the master, so greatly also must we esteem the grace that forgave him and restored him to fellowship and service. And that means both in John's gospel and in our lives that there is also hope for the rest of us. Two things to take away from this well-intended contrast that John is making here, folks. And that is, Jesus can help us to be bold and confident in our testimony of him. It's when we don't rely on him that we get into trouble. It's when we don't on a daily basis say, Lord, help me to be aware of the opportunities to proclaim you, to make you known. When we try to go it on our own, we will fail in some form or fashion, the same way that Peter did. And maybe it's just a matter of not talking about him when we know we have an open opportunity. Maybe it's even somebody asking us if we're a believer or a Christian and we just kind of play it off, kind of like Peter did the first two times. I don't have time for that or knowledge. But we say the word and we deny. And yet, Jesus died so that we could have the boldness and confidence to be able to proclaim him as his children, as we put our faith and trust in him, and he provides forgiveness for when we don't. Don't be discouraged or um, limited by a past failure to proclaim Christ. Don't let that continue to overshadow your life, but ask forgiveness. Go at it again. Do you remember the opportunity that Peter would soon have after Jesus ascended? The Holy Spirit came. Jesus, uh, Peter didn't deny Jesus. He proclaimed Jesus, and over 3,000 people were saved. Jesus is the Savior of second chances, folks, and he'll give that to us too. So get up, proclaim him again, and ask for Jesus' help to do so. There's hope for us, but at the same time, Remember, we need his help. We can't do it on our own. It's a dark, scary world out there. And we need the power of Jesus to help us to proclaim him and testify of him. And he will give that to us. In his grace and mercy, he will help us to speak openly of him to the world. Father, it's a blessing to think on these truths. It's embarrassing and sobering to think that we like Peter have many times denied Christ in the midst of his bold atoning sacrifice for us we have not done and been all that we could be in our testimony of him and yet forgiveness is offered renewal is given and we can pick up again not live in the darkness of our failures but live in the light of forgiveness and Go again and boldly proclaim Christ because 
he was able to openly give truth to the world, proclaim truth to the world, so we can, by relying on him and the work of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your grace and mercy. And Lord, help us to be committed again and motivated to proclaim him, not fearfully and and powerlessly, but with confidence that as you make opportunities clear to us, that we boldly go and tell the Savior that we love, who went through it all for us, and give us his strength and power to be able to do so. This we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.